The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome back to Murder Nation. The podcast series is dedicated to lesser-known serial killers and acts of true crime. I'm your host, the illustrious Scott Alexander, and right across from me is the one, the only... Oh, yeah, you are looking over my monitor now. You just popped up like you're I did a fucking... because your like, monitor's not down, like, so I can't see you. Well, it looks like whack-a-mole. <laughs> That's what it reminded me of. It was fucking whack-a-mole. Hi, everybody. Whack-a-mole. Oh, wait, I'm Tammy Underwood. <laughs> I was just going to introduce you. Tammy the Whack-a-mole Underwood. <laughs> Say hi, Tam. Hi, everybody. How are you guys today? Okay, like so... Like they can answer me back. No, they're like looking at going, bitch, we're listening to you on a podcast. You recorded this before we were listening to you, so fuck off. Yeah. So, a friend of mine emailed into the show. We mentioned her before. Can you move your monitor down so I can see you, please? <laughs> I suppose. I mean, it's not like I like looking at you. I just feel uncomfortable. I feel like I'm talking to myself when I can't see you. You are talking to yourself because you're crazy. I told you not to tell people that. Thank you. Hold on, boys and girls. This takes a little bit of It finesse. does take a little bit of finesse. There we go. But you better. got it. You're good. So she emailed in. She said, hey, you guys haven't done any episodes on killers from Oklahoma. You want to give them her name? I am. Just oh, okay. hang tight because I wrote a whole prologue. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So. You're like Johnny on the spot today. Goddamn right I am. Okay, so this episode here, we're going enti- to title Oklahoma Killers. And my first one is about Dale Roger Stafford, a.k.a. the most hated man in Oklahoma. Dun, 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 dun. Which surprises me, man, because I've met some real dickheads in Oklahoma. I, I haven't, actually. Well, I was only there once. It depends on where you go. Like, in Jennystown, well, it, it explains in my pro. Oh, uh, I was going to say, I was in Tulsa. This episode is dedicated to a good friend of mine who lives in Oklahoma, Jenny Oshler Teal. Instead of calling me and saying, hey, do a serial killer from Oklahoma, she sent an email to the show with a list of Oklahoma killers. Tammy got the email, and that launched Tammy into thinking that she had another fan, although... I did until she emailed me back and said, (laughs) I'll always be Scott's biggest fan, and but you know, you're all right too. But she did say I handle you nicely, so... I need a handler. You do. Anyway, y'all know that she loved me the most. For God's sakes, don't feed her ego. <laughs> Jenny and I have known each other for about 20 years. Wow. And we've stayed pretty good friends. All well, that's all. good. Um, I've been to her house with, uh, when her mom was still uh, alive, and I've met her family. Jenny, your mom is missed even by me. Your family has always uh, treated me really well, especially your brother Charlie. Uh, and I'm not going to mention the town of which you live, but I still say this. Everyone there is so nice that it creeped me out. <laughs> it was true. worse than like Southern hospitality. It was like step for wives. You ever seen the horror movies where somebody goes into a strange town and everybody's like super nice? And wow, I can live here forever. But like at night, you know, like, oh, oh my yeah. God, I think that Billy disappeared and you find him murdered. That's this town. Is everybody so fucking Wow. Nice? That's crazy. It seemed like everybody in your small town knew who I was. Uh, when, I, when I was on the road, Jenny would come out to Tulsa or Oklahoma City, uh, and she'd have dinner with me whenever I'd get out there. 
Okay. She's even driven driven to Joplin, Missouri once, and it was snowing on her way home. Jenny, you rock, and I think that I need to come out there and say hi to y'all again. I know, Joplin, from Tulsa to Joplin, is like nothing but a straight toll highway. Yeah, it's, it's fucking, and it's flat. It is ridiculous. It is flat, flatter than an Asian white uh, than an Asian boy's chest. <laughs> you did not do that. <laughs> Little rice burners. Fucking All right, let's talk about Roger Dale staff. And stop calling my nephew that, by the way. Now that I thought about it, you got two little rice burners going to be there. Well, they, I got fix all the electronics. Yeah, man. I got Matter another fact, little boy nephew on the way. I got an idea. Don't say it. You need to bring him over. He can fix the printer. You know what? That might be a good idea because he's a pretty smart cookie. That's right, little Chin Win Ho or whatever the hell his name is. His name is, well, I call him Yuki because his name's Yubi Kane. Whatever the poke- Korean first name, American middle name. Whatever his Pokemon name is. Don't Our story begins in 1974 in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. See, I put the owl in there. You happy? Yeah. Muscle Shoals. Yeah, Muscle Shoals. I've heard about that place. A 21-year-old student at the university in northern Alabama was working as an assistant manager at a McDonald's when Roger came in to rob the place. He shot the young student four times and made off with the money. Wow. This crime would be the beginning of a short life full of robbery and killing. This crime would be revealed uh, by his, this crime here in particular would be revealed by, by his wife, Verna, after they were caught. Wow. So she was with him? Oh, well, yeah. Kinda? You'll, you'll see. Okay. Um, I'm sitting on pins and needles. Thank you. I thought you were sitting on your butt, but okay. Yeah, well, whatever, you know, get your coochie My going. My gorgeous little butt. <laughs> yeah, okay. Don't be rude. Go on. Can I go now, Godzilla? You can go on now. Thank you. In June of 1978, Sergeant Melvin Lorenz and his wife, Linda, were heading from where they were stationed in Texas to attend a funeral. They were both in the military, by the way. Okay. I'm not sure if I mentioned that. And if, or, no. or it was just in my head. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Melvin's mother had passed away. As they drove on Interstate 40 near Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the town of Purcell, Oklahoma, they saw a woman sitting in a car on the side of the road. The hood was up on the car, okay? And being good people, the Lorenz family pulled over to see if they could do anything that could help the stranded lady. What year was that again? That was in 78. Oh, yeah. That was very common back then, too. Mm-hmm. Through the 90s, I think. Well, I'll tell you. What they didn't know was that their act of kindness would lead to their deaths. As, wow. As Roger's wife, Verna, sat in the car, hiding a short distance away was Roger and his brother, Harold. As soon as they saw an opportunity, they moved in. They held Melvin at gunpoint and demanded that he give them all of their money, of which Melvin refused. Oh, okay. No, no, fuck you. Yeah. We're on a trip. I'm going to a funeral, right? According to Verna, Melvin said that he could have most of his money, but not all of it. Which makes sense. You don't want to be stranded. No money in the middle of freaking Oklahoma. Oh, yeah, totally. Okay. So, Roger shot him down. Killed him. Dead. Gone. Wow. Linda Lorenz tried to fight back, catching Verna on the side of the head with a blow, but she was then shot to death as well. So kudos to, Verna, uh, to uh, uh, Linda because she came out swinging like a boxer and caught Verna on the side of the head like, bam, but Roger blew her brains out. Dude, Midwest women are corn-fed. This, these, these two were, I think, in the Air Force. 
Oh, the two um, victims? Yeah. Oh, okay. But wait, there's more. Of course there is. <laughs> As the dust settled, they heard a voice coming from the camper that lay on the, uh, on the truck that the Lorenz family had driven to where uh, they now lay dead. Okay. The, the voice belonged to 13-year-old Richard Lorenz, Melvin and Linda's son. Rogers shot him to death as well, telling Verna that they couldn't leave any witnesses. Wow. They robbed them and dumped their bodies along the road and took the truck and the, uh, that belonged to the Lorenz family and abandoned it in an airport parking lot. Wow. On the witness stand, Verna said that it was her idea to pose as a stranded motorist. She claimed that they needed the money to get a place to live in Tulsa for her, Roger, and their three kids. Okay. She went on to say that Roger's brother, Harold, needed the money to get his girlfriend an abortion. Okay, yeah. That one kind of took me aback. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh. She claimed that they made the trip uh, from Tulsa to commit some crimes. She said that the first plan was to rob some stores or hotels, but then that didn't quite pan out for them, and they left empty-handed. Wow. That was when she came up with the stranded motorist idea. Like, light bulb. Well, but back then, it would work. Well, yeah, you know. Um, <clears throat> I get comfortable here. I, I don't know. I, I would be willing to stop and help people out if they were stranded on their side of the road, even to this day. But I'm a little bit braver. Well, and I've heard, well, you're a truck driver by day. Yeah. Um, I've heard that, um, well, I know back in the day, because my grandpa and my dad drove truck, um, if somebody's broken down on the side of the road, is all they had to do was lift their hood, and a trucker would stop and help them. Normally. I mean, but I've heard nowadays they're not allowed to. Oh, I, I, I would do it if I, if I look in, because I check out the whole situation. And right. It just depends on how I feel about it, right? Oh, okay. Gotcha. Three weeks after they killed Lorenz family, they drove to Oklahoma City to rob a sirloin stockade restaurant. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was awesome too, huh, right? The manager of the restaurant made a fatal mistake that would cost five people their lives. Wow. He began to taunt Roger, saying things like he doesn't understand why people rob others instead of working. Roger res Roger's response was to hit the manager and demand that he call his employees up to the cash register. As Verna, and, as Verna and Harold held the employees at gunpoint, Roger and the manager emptied the register as well as the safe of 1290 bucks. Wow. Big money right there, right? $1,290. Yeah, dude. Roger then marched all six people into the walk-in freezer. Harold reminded Roger that no one was to hurt, was supposed to get hurt. And Roger replied, they'll get what they deserve. Roger then shot the only black employee that was there. And then Roger and Harold opened fire, killing them all. Okay. Roger decided that Vernon needed to be, uh, to be involved with the shooting. So he put a gun in her hand and helped her pull the trigger, firing the gun. She shoot. couldn't do it herself, or she just didn't have the nerve? Who knows? He probably oh. just said, hold on. Hold, hold, hold my beer. Hold my beer. I'm going to show you how to do this. <laughs> right. Shoot that guy over there. I already shot the Negro, but shot him again. <laughs> well, they sound like they're kind of bigoted. So kind of anyway. did sound like that, yeah. Keep in mind that this is what Verna had said on the, on the witness stand after they'd been caught, by the way. This is all 
her statement. Okay. Sergeant Lanny Mitchell was the first officer on the scene. He said, I opened the freezer door and I saw, <laughs> and all I saw was blood and brains. Wow. It was totally incomprehensible. Oh, just sounds gross. A week after the Sirloin stockade murders, Harold died in a motorcycle accident. Roger and Verna were on the run. I'm not sure if it's good luck uh, or good detective work that helped him solve the case. In fleeing the scene, they nearly crashed into a station wagon, their station wagon into another car. Okay. The driver of the other car got a good look at who was driving. He described Roger Stafford to a T. Wow. Well, the police didn't know who Roger and Verna Stafford were at the time. Okay? Yeah. And over the course of six months, they followed leads in five different states trying to find the people who executed six people at the restaurant. Okay. They came up with nothing. That was until they received a call from Roger Stafford, who was drunk. That's right, Roger. <laughs> drunk called the cops. He drunk dialed the police. <laughs> now, now you see why I'm kind of making fun of him a little bit? Yeah. Because in the world of stupid... Well, I mean, nowadays we do it because, you know, we have cell phones so in our hands all the time. But back in the 70s, you had to walk over to the wall. He had to walk <laughs> probably to a payphone. Oh, that could have been too, yeah. Put money in the payphone. Dude. After looking up the number and call the police. That is crazy. Anywho, he said his wife, Werner, and his brother, Harold, were the killers. The police, tr- okay. of course he did, right? right? Of course he did. They probably was having a fight or something, him and the burner. They was all drunk. It happens. It happens. She wouldn't hold his bear. <laughs> the police traced the call and found Verna somewhere in Chicago. And they found Roger in the lobby of a YMCA. It's fun to stay at the YMCA in Chicago. We danced to that at my wedding. So they made... That big ass long distance call to the cops. Yeah. <laughs> On a payphone. From Chicago. From Chicago. To Oklahoma, calling them up saying, Yo, dude. <laughs> that is nuts. So, of course, they were both arrested and they were taken into custody. Right. They were both extradited back to Oklahoma where they stood trial for the crimes. Okay. Roger was found guilty in four of the murders and sentenced to death. Roger predicted that his execution would never be carried out, though. He said, quote, I'm too good looking to die. Dude, I've often said that. I'm too pretty for jail. Well, Roger was wrong because in 1995, the great state of Oklahoma (laughs) made sure that he was going to take the dirt nap. I was going to say, did they, like, shock him to death? I'm not sure. I didn't. I didn't uh, look into how he was ex. Oh no! I guess I got. I guess I did. I put it. In, don't write this shit when you're drunk. Fuck. Were you really I drunk? Was, I was pretty drunk because I was thinking of Oklahoma and you gotta be drunk. I was gonna to, say. To be well, in a, to, dude, did you have a party and didn't invite me again? In Oklahoma, yeah. you have to be drunk. It's a law. In Florida, you have to take off your shirt to fight a tree. This is true. In Oklahoma, to live there, you gotta be drunk. That's just the way it is. He was executed by lethal injection. As he died, he claimed he was an innocent man. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I yeah, mean, I, see, I keep thinking the same thing. We that are Billy, Billy Joel and out. Yep. <laughs> All right, let's talk about another one from Oklahoma. Okay. Charles Floyd. There was a time when porn was not available on the internet or even in video stores. You gave me a weird look. What no, the fuck? No, I saw because porn? when you said that, I was thinking. But you were, probably weren't alive back then because I just looked up that guy's picture and I know who he is now. Oh, Charles Floyd? Yeah. I haven't seen him. Anyway, mm. I, no, yeah, I think this Do you have his earlier. nickname down? No, I don't. Charles Pretty Boy Floyd, the gangster. Is that who this is? Yes. I kept looking it up, but I can't. I came up well, with two different ones. Yeah, but he's not really as popular around here. I mean, nowadays. I mean, every once in a while you hear about him. Oh. But yeah, he. Um, um, hang on. I gotta. I'm well, finishing I'm gonna, up. I'm the gonna picture. do my thing and then we'll talk about him after. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Because 1942, 1948, yeah. murders. Looking at the bio right now. Okay, so do, do, continue do, do, do. on with what I okay, said about porn ahead. stores. For those of you who are too young to remember video stores, look it up. Not even gonna explain it to yeah, you. Yeah, with the beaded curtains. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Doing the walk of shame out. I was where mothers say... are carrying, covering their kids. Says, Don't look at the bad men. You're like, how much for the little girl? Yeah, you guys need Jesus. <laughs> you need Jesus. You don't need pronouns. Yeah. <laughs> what happens when a creep, when creeping around and looking into women's windows isn't enough to satisfy you? I'm gonna warn you. I'm going to warn you all ahead of time before I uh, get the hate mail. I tried to find out when this guy was born, but apparently no one else fucking knows either. Really? I looked and looked. I couldn't find anything. Want me to look for you? Okay, we'll give it at the end of this motherfucker. I was just like, because I'm a smart one. So his characteristics were voyeurism, rape, and necrophilia, and that's why I picked him. As it says, his date of murders was 1942-1948. And he was arrested on November 22nd of 1949. But he had a very specific <sighs> victim profile. Red-headed women. Oh, then we're not talking about the same one. Didn't think, yeah, no, I, that's what I was telling you. I, I had two different ones. Oh, because I didn't see the other one on my search. No. Interesting. Anywho, he would strangle them or bludgeon them or both to death. And he's from Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is pretty close to where Jenny lives. What's his middle name? Do you have that? No fucking idea. Okay. On July 10th of 1942, the 20-year-old wife of a truck driver by the name of uh, William Brown, uh, she was strangled and raped in their apartment in Tulsa. Okay. I'm not sure why, but I, I couldn't find her name. It's, it's, the, the whole case was bizarre. Like, it's got some good information in it. But important shit's missing, like what this dude, uh, his name was uh, William Brown, so I'm, I'm assuming he went, probably went by Bill or Billy. He didn't say his wife's name. Okay. Which I thought was weird. Oh, man. And I put, damn it, Oklahoma, keep better records. <laughs> right. Pregnant at the time of the attack, the victim had been six days from delivering their baby. Wow. The, of course, the, unlo- the, the, the unborn baby also died in what the authorities would later on call a double homicide. Wow. Which makes sense. It's six days away from getting born. You just off two real people. Right. And that's coming from somebody who's, you know, pro-choice. Wow. That's crazy. So six months goes by, right? Yep. Another attack happens. Clara Stewart. Stewart. Okay. And... Her daughter, Georgine Green, who was married, 
Uh, so they're sharing this apartment <clears throat> around the time, uh, around the same neighborhood as the July attack. Mm-hmm. So while Georgine's husband is, he's off, he's serving in the army. Um, the police noticed that, that's, well, I'm sorry, that's when she got attacked. Husband goes off to the army. They both get attacked and killed in the apartment, right? Okay. So the the police noticed that all the victims had red hair. That's why I said that was this guy's victim pool. Said, hey, these okay. are all red-haired chicks. What the fuck? Right. So police suspected that the man uh, who, who beat them both to death and raped their corpses uh, was attracted to women with red hair. Okay. okay. That makes sense, right? Yeah, totally. So... Come May 15th of 1945, not too long after, right? Mm-hmm. Another redheaded by the name of uh, Panta Lou Niles, P-A-N-T-A. Okay. And I almost said pantaloons. Okay. I didn't, it just. Yeah. Yeah. No, I had to dawn on me that it was two separate words when you said pantaloo. Because yeah. <laughs> it sounded like it was one when you said it, so. So anywho, she was bludgeoned in her sleep. Okay. So. This guy, he entered in through her, her, be- her open bedroom window, and her body was sexually assaulted after she had died. Wow. So, necrophilia. Yeah. So, our buddy Charles was still in her, uh, in her bed, uh, was still in her room hours later when a friend phoned to wake her up for work. Okay. And Charles picked up the phone, and her friend was freaked the fuck out. Wow. Because, you know, there's a man's voice on the line. Right. And she called to wake up her very female friend. Right. And That's weird. And didn't say what he said. It could have been like, I killed your friend. Or I'm the creepy guy who's in here who just molested a dead body. I don't know what he said. Or stuck his tongue out through the phone like Freddy Krueger that one time. Could have been. And that one. <laughs> so hearing, hearing Charles's voice, right, mm-hmm. she automatically hangs up and she calls the cops. But they're too late. He's out. Right. He already escaped. He, he was audio, adios bitch nachos. Yeah. So a drifter by the name of Henry Owens, though, was arrested and suspected in the latest homicide for killing uh, pantaloons. Okay. Pantaloons. Yeah, pantaloons. so mean. That's what it sounded like to me every time I say it in my head. I know. So he was considered kind of mentally retarded. And he was previously booked on, but he was previously booked on charges of sexual assault. So... Owens agreed to take a polygraph test. But okay. the results were inconclusive, and he was still held in custody, though. Right. And that's when the killer struck again on July 1st of 1948. So Owens is, is in jail, man. They got him. What, what day? July what? July 1st. Okay. So our buddy Charles broke into an apartment, then attacked using a club on the female that lived there, on the girl that lived there. Wow. Her 12-year-old daughter... And a teenage girl who was sleeping over. All three of them. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So the police said that the girls were uh, partially undressed. Okay. And in a quote, and and an quote, unnatural sex act was performed wow. on, the, on them uh, before the neighbor arrived who had heard them screaming. When the neighbor arrived, Charles fled the scene course you know he said hey man i'm out of here ha 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 fast as fast can be you'll never catch me (gasps) so weird so two blocks uh away from this attack right here on the same day he breaks into the home of ruth norton and she was yet another redhead 
Wow. Beater, and that was his last victim. Oh, and he also uh, raped her unconscious body. Ew. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> but there's good news. I was waiting for that to set in for you, okay? Someone actually saw Charles and came forward to give the police a description of Ruth's attacker. The witness included a piece of evidence that said he looked like a truck driver. Mm. Don't be looking at me like that, motherfucker. It's not me. No, he has hair. <laughs> I saw the picture. So the cops go around. They, they're, they're looking at all the trucking companies around there, right? Right. And that's what revealed Charles Floyd. And he was a driver that was known by all of his friends to be obsessed with redheads. But he had quit his job on the morning of July 2nd, and police gave his description to other law enforcement agencies that led to his ultimate arrest in Dallas, Texas, on wow. November 22nd of 1949. That's crazy. So, despite assertions of confusion, Floyd supplied detectives with a lot of details of the crime known only to the killer. And the police. Right. So he said, yeah, I'm all confused. I don't know what this shit's about, but I know all this shit. Right. Yeah, so slightly retarded himself, right? Totally. <laughs> he was known as a lifelong peeping Tom. And that's why I put that in the beginning. About okay. About looking women's windows, right? Okay. And he said, voyeurism sometimes failed, uh, failed my cravings. Okay. And that's what it made him move to be more violent. Panton Niles had been a special target because uh, she was fond of stripping down right. in front of her open window. Wow. So Floyd had washed her for a period of weeks before lust just exploded into rape and murder. Wow. Psychiatric testing uh, and the subject's low IQ saved Floyd from the electric chair in Oklahoma. Hmm. On confession to the string of rapes and murders, he was sent off to a mental institution where he, of course, died in later years. Lived out the rest of his life. Well, but that kind of like is almost a good thing because look at what happened with um, Cole. Right. You know, he belonged in a mental institution. Well, the difference, though, is Cole was sitting there going, guys, I'm the murderer. This is true. I am murdering people. And they're like, sir, step out of the way. We're looking for a horrible killer here. No, right. I'm right here. Look, blood right here on my hands. Sir, look, we're police. We're looking for a killer. Right, right. You need to step aside. I don't care that you have your hands around her neck. Quit yeah. trying to save her. Yeah, quit trying to save her. Step aside. We're looking for a horrible yeah. killer here. Gee, detective, where could the killer be? Right. All right fucking here. That was crazy. All right. My next little epilogue. Although this next one has been featured on many TV shows, such as Oprah, the information to me seems pretty repetitive. For this, on the other one? The last one? Yeah. Okay. I didn't hear you say you moved on, but go ahead. Oh, I'm moving on. You ready? Got it now. Okay. Thank you. For this last one, I'm going to read to you what I found on Murderpedia because it sums it up pretty well. Okay. Because all the information was about the same straight across. Gotcha. Okay. And I said, oh, that, that fucking makes sense. It all wraps it up. Sean Richard Sellers, May 18th, 1969. 69, dude. 
to February 5th, 1999. We're going to party like it's 1999. Was an American serial killer and one of 22 persons in the United States since the reenactment of the death penalty in 1976 to be executed for a crime committed while under the age of 18. Okay. He was also the only person during this period to be executed for a crime that's com- uh, com- to be committed while you're under the age of 17. Okay. His case drew worldwide attention due to his age, as well as his jailhouse conversation conversion to Christianity, and his claim that demonic possession made him innocent of the crimes. On September 8th of 1985, 16-year-old Sellers and his then-best friend, Richard Howard, killed Robert Bauer, a convenience store clerk in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Okay. Sellers later admitted uh, on his website that he killed Bauer because the man had refused to sell him beer and because he wanted to see what it felt like, which sounds a lot like our girl from earlier this week. Alyssa Bustamante. Bustamante. Yes. Totally. He surprised the clerk at the Circle K convenience store while he was dr- drinking his coffee. Then pursued, uh, yeah, pursued the wounded man across the store and shot him again. Wow. And that's when he died. So he shoots him once, chases him, then gunned him down. Yeah. On March 5th of 1986, Sellers killed his mother, Vonda Belafato. Hmm. Try saying that one twice. Right. And his stepfather, Lee Belafato. It says Fado, but I'm going to go with Fado because that's just a... F-A-T-T-O? Yeah. Yeah, it's probably Fado. Yeah. While they were asleep in their bedroom in Oklahoma, in their Oklahoma City home. Okay. Sellers tried to disguise his guilt by arranging the crime scene to look as if an intruder had committed the killings. Wow. At his trial, Sellers claimed that he was practicing that he was a practicing Satanist at the time of the murders and that demonic possession made him, made him murder his victims. His attorneys also urged Sellers urged that Sellers was addicted to the game Dungeons and Dragons. The jury refused to believe either claim, and he was sentenced to death in 1986. No, I'm good, thanks. And, and th- this is another one that gets me, because I'll bet you that if we look at media clips, they're going to focus on the Dungeons & Dragons twist. Right, totally. He played D&D. Right. I mean, I have a cousin who still to this day plays D&D. My brother plays D&D. They're not out killing people. I played D&D as a, as a teenager with my buddy Fred Wilcox. You did a lot with Fred. Fred was awesome, man. Got me into a lot of trouble. But Although, you know, I we had a conversation earlier today about you, you know. Whatever. At the time, Oklahoma law did not give juries the option of giving a life, giving a life sentence without possibility of parole. That choice became available in 1987, next year. Okay. One juror later said that the jury felt Sellers would be paroled in 7 to 14 years and that the prison term was not lengthy enough. Wow. So the jury opted for the death penalty of a 16-year-old. Keep that in mind. Other jurors denied this was part of the deliberations, but I kind of believe it. 
Yeah. I was going to say, but we've seen it before, yeah. you know? It's, you know, I, I think what you have here is one or two jurors who want to tell the truth. A and the rest of them going to communicate. Well, the rest Sorry. of the jurors are sitting there going, oh, no, we would never do that. He's a child. We would never. They're like, kill the little motherfucker. Right. No, so, I hear you. Here's his religious conversion. Sellers became a Christian while in prison. His friend started a website on his behalf. And he campaigned for clemency based on his religious conversion, age, and involvement in Satanism at the time. While on death row, Sellers made numerous appearances in mass media, appearing on Oprah Winfrey's show and on the notorious segment of Geraldo about Satanism. Okay. He, oh, you know what? Yeah, that, that's probably clicking I probably, on. yeah. He also appeared in documentaries about Satanism and serial killers on 48 Hours, MSNBC, and the A&E Network. Wow. Sellers married in prison on February 14th, Valentine's Day. How sweet for the Satanist. Wow. 1995. But the marriage was annulled in 1997. Praise Jesus. Well, of course, it can be because they could never consummate. (laughs) You would think, yeah. Yeah. Sellers' step-siblings refused to believe that his conversion was a sincere one. Of his many surviving family members, only his step-grandmother believed his conversion to be sincere. Christian officials also refused to believe that he had converted, uh, except for the prison chaplain who believed him. Okay, appeals and execution. I like how they have everything laid out, so I don't have to even think. Well, that's good for you. (laughs) During his 1999 appeal to the 10th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, Sellers contended that he was suffering from multiple personality disorder. So I want to point this out right here. He's gone from, I've converted to Christianity. That's why you should not kill me, right? right? To, oh, I was suffering from multiple personalities. Kind of a theme with you this week, huh? The appellate court ruled that there was, quote, unconfirmed. Uncontroverted evidence of oh. Sellers' uh, religious conversion, and that he may indeed suffer from multiple personality disorder. Wow! Yeah. The panel of judges concluded that while Sellers might have been insane at the time of his crimes, <clears throat> but they ruled that the that but they ruled the claim was made too late to be raised on appeal. Okay. Psychiatric experts scoffed at Sellers' claim, arguing that any true mental illness would have been diagnosed soon after Sellers' arrest, and not seven years later, which that's exactly what I just said. Right. Scroll down a little bit. There we go. Prison officials also cast doubt on Sellers' mental illness by saying they saw Sellers rehearsing the evidence of mental uh, illness. Okay, and receiving coaching from his attorneys. Mm. Sellers made the same insanity claim to the clemency board, but the board refused to consider the issue. The board appeared to be swayed by the prison official statement that the lengthy time delayed in diagnosis and illness, statements by Sellers' uh, accomplice, uh, that that they had seen no evidence of multiple personalities. Right. There's a quote here. The only thing that 
worried him was getting caught. And that was a guy by the name of Richard Howard. Well, that was his accomplice. That's right. what he wrote. That's the only thing he was worried about. This kind of sounds like, remember Dana Sue Gray? The one that pretended like she had depression and suicidal after she was in jail? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot like that, yeah. Yeah. Sellers appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, but the court denied his appeal. Oh, wow. Two days before his execution, Sellers filed two more appeals. The first appeal, made in federal uh, federal district court, accused the state... uh, Pardon and Parole Board of violating his civil rights. Okay. Sellers argued that the that the Pardon Board's decisions were not impartial and capricious. Okay. The appeal was denied, and the issue having having been considered and rejected by the state courts numerous times, and as recently as well. <laughs> wow. A second appeal filed in the state. Court for Criminal Appeals claimed that the state appellate court made a mistake by ruling Sellers had waived his insanity claim at trial. The state appellate court admitted it used the wrong legal just, uh, justification in, in deciding Sell- Sellers' waiver of mental illness, but mm-hmm. nevertheless, nevertheless rejected Sellers' appeal after considering the case on the merit raised by Sellers' defense team. Wow. Seller's imminent execution brought condemnation from a wide variety of sources, including the European Union, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, the American Bar Association, and Bianca Jagger. I wonder if she's related to Mick. Anyway, (laughs) nearly all all raised issues about the age at the time of the crimes, and many argued that his religious work from prison outweighed the state's need to execute him. I'm going to stop it right the fuck there because they saw him practicing for this. Right. And if you look at the history of it, I conferred to Christianity. Let me go. And they're like, uh, no. Okay. Do you know how many people are, you know, I'm crazy insane. Oh my God. I'm multiple personalities. Are you a, aren't you the Christian Dude, I don't know. I'm crazy. No. And then he goes to something else. Oh, yeah. you're violating my civil rights. There are so many people that find God in the penitentiary, but forget who he is when they get out. <laughs> I thought I found Jesus once. He was. I thought he was hiding behind my couch. Turned out it was just a regular Mexican. <laughs> you're so fucking stupid. I knew that was coming. I knew it. I thought you were going to say backyard shed, but you said behind the couch. I am like. I made him go back out there and mow my lawn. I can't believe you, Scott. <laughs> Yes, I can. Sellers was executed by lethal injection at 12.17 a.m. on February 5th, 1999. Wow. He spoke to his step-siblings saying, all the people who are hating me right now now and are here waiting to see me die. When you wake up in the morning, you aren't going to feel any different. Sellers did not mention his mother or apologize for what he had done. His statement outraged his step-siblings. Yeah, that's crazy. And the rest of it's just a bunch of BS. Anyway, that's that episode. Wow. Yeah, so let's talk about sellers real quick. (laughs) Dude, I just don't even know where to begin with that one. Here's my thought on it, because we got to get to the next episode so I can go to bed. Um, Because i got to be up at the butt crack. Lazy fucker. I was going to be in bed right now, man. It's 6 o'clock. I know, I was going to say, you're way past your bedtime. 
honestly, I think that if he if they would have let him out at all, he would be killing. And it has nothing to do with Satanism. Oh, no. Over he, and over and over again. He would kill, yeah. not because of any kind of religious condition, uh-huh. because he, that's what he enjoys doing. I was going to say, that's, he's got a bloodlust. Yeah, he's a like, fucking yeah. whack job. Dude, I just don't even know where, like I said, don't know, know where to begin with somebody like that. No shit, man. So this one here is dedicated to Jenny Osher, like I said, man. Remember, you can check out the website at www.twistedbluellc.com. Yeah, and if you are like Jenny and have a suggestion for us, email us. Let us know. We'll do it. Hells yeah. We'll look into it. (laughs) And I might not even be drunk if I look into it. I'm just saying it does happen every once in a while. You need to stop having a party without me because you know I love my tequila. You haven't been high for years. I haven't been high in months. What? What are you talking about? I can't remember the last time I smoked weed. Holy fuck. Oh, okay. Never mind. I was thinking something. I was like, Scott. Jackass. Well, you scared me for about two seconds. Jesus. I was just stoned the other night. So (laughs) that email address, by the way, is brutalnation at twistedblue.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat, which is on Medium vocal media and hub pages that's where our blogs are you don't have to put up with all my bullshit if you read them um let's see what else we oh we got the 100th episode coming up we do it's really special i'm gonna have my son go with me out in the garage and see if i can find it between now and like saturday all right yeah this show's copyrighted 2021 by twisted blue llc all rights reserved and we'll talk to you guys later Bye, bye everybody